Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. All right, have a seat, and if you have a Bible, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 20, and we are going through the Ten Commandments. And as fads come and go, I was looking at fads this week, and I was looking at the top ten fads, and I don't have them in front of me, but they were things that have gone away like... Uh, uh, what were some of those fads? Uh, you know, I was offended, actually. They mentioned bell bottoms, and I'm like, I've got some bell bottoms. I don't get that. They mentioned black lights. I don't have that, but I do like black lights. They mentioned a lava lamp as a fad. I've got a lava lamp. And so anyway, I guess I'm faddish. Although one, one fad that I did agree with was uh, uh, Justin Bieber. That's what they said. And I just thought, yeah, that is, that is kind of a fad. Anyway, that's what they said. But even though cultural things come and go, God's Word lasts forever and ever. And how we like to look at top 10 lists about this or that, God has His top 10, and they do not change. They're not up for vote, and they're not up for popular opinion. And so we're on the sixth commandment, and the sixth commandment says, it's just two words in the Hebrew, three words in the English, and it says, do not murder. Pretty self-explanatory. Do not murder. Murder. I think everybody here would be against that one. Yeah, would you agree? I bet if you went into any culture, any society, and you polled 100 people, 100 out of 100, anywhere at any time would say, murder is wrong. But then we ask the question, why? Why is murder wrong? It actually seems self-evident. I mean, it just seems natural. But if you follow the logic clearly and you realize that in humanism, the, the God of the day, if you listen to how laws are made today or how culture is set, it's up to popular opinion. And the cry of the day is, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, even though they might conflict. It's all just relative. And if everything is just relative, then why isn't murder relative? Why isn't that up to just how you feel? And you just get up one day and you feel grumpy, so you hack off a few heads. I mean, you just, you, why, why, is that wrong? why is that not wrong if it really doesn't matter? Well, it just shows you the inconsistency of relativism. And it also points us to ask the question, why? Why is life valuable? Why, from conception to the grave, is life sacred? Whether it's infanticide or whether it is any other type of murder, why is that wrong? And here's why because we are made in the image of God. Now, one thing I want to back up and say that this verse does not say, it doesn't say, thou shall not kill. It doesn't say that. In fact, there's two different Hebrew words that are used. One is rechak, which means to murder. The other one is katal, which means to kill. Those two verbs are very unique. They are as unique as the difference between killing and murdering. So what is this not saying, or is there a time to kill? For instance, if you have termites in your house, you would probably call a insect exterminator or executioner, right? And you wouldn't even go through a conviction. You wouldn't even have a trial. You would just kill every single one of those creatures, right? If you had termites, you wouldn't even think twice about it. You just go, die, you stinking termite, and they would die. If you were to step on an ant, you go, oh, sorry, hate that fire ant, and you would just move on. But is there a time to kill people? 
there is. First is self-defense. There is a scriptures that makes it clear that you and I can be involved in self-defense. Exodus chapter 22, verse 2 through 3 says this, If a thief is found breaking into your house and he is struck, meaning he was hit with something because they didn't have guns back then, if he was struck that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him, the one who kills him. I remember uh, it was in 1982, way back, I was at Criswell Bible College. I was a very young student back then, I'll just say that. And we took about 30 or 40 guys down to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And Sao Paulo is a major metropolis. It was a crazy city. We came outside of our hotel and uh, we were all walking down and it was critical mass of people. Cars were even driving on the sidewalks and it was just crazy. And I remember hearing uh, the story. I wasn't with the group at this time. I was behind the group. But the group that was ahead of me, they heard this lady screaming. And she was running up, meandering through people. And in front of her was another man running away from her. And he had a purse. And she was screaming in Portuguese. And the president of our school uh, at the time, he saw this man running and the lady screaming. And so he said, hey, everybody stop and pray. And no, that's not what they did. As this man got closer and closer, he busts him in the face, knocks him down, puts a knee on his back, and waits for the cops to get there. And yet he had all of our money for the trip in a briefcase that he was holding on this side. Now, actually, what he did and what I heard about and my friend Saul was a, was a clear theological statement. I mean, think about it for a moment. Are we to be pacifists to any degree or to some degree? Are we to allow evil to flourish why good men do nothing. And I remember as we heard that story and the president of our school knocked this guy out, knocked him down and waited for the cops to keep. He used physical force to help a lady in distress. And is that biblically allowed? Well, according to this, it is. So there are those that are good, good individuals. I know, I, know, I know several that come to the conclusion that the Bible teaches pacifism. But I would challenge them with verses like this and many other verses. Ecclesiastes says this. There's a time for peace and there's a time for what? There is. We have big theological statements even among the Southern Baptists, churches that fellowship together. And we, we bring people together and we say, listen, work on this one project. Is there a time for just war? And in our Baptist faith and message on the, one of the very last items, it says, what, is the, what are the conditions for a just war? There is such a thing for an unjust war, but what is just war? I've had people from the military ask me often, or even a, a peacekeeping individual who have said, listen, uh, where do I stand in this? Am I allowed to take a life? And so in self-defense, there is a time where you and I can take a life. It is, it is very clear that even in capital punishment, it's a controversial subject. It's a horrible subject to even have to bring up capital punishment. But in the state of Texas, capital punishment is the law of the land that if someone murders someone and they are tried and they are convicted, it's possible that they will be put to death because of capital punishment. What does the Bible say about that horrible, horrible event? Well, Exodus chapter 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Every time it's... Anytime death is prohibited, it always brings it back to this one truth, and that is that you and I are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. If you and I are just a product of evolution 
Or we came from the goo, which turned into one cell amoeba, which turned into multiple complex, who turned into something that climbed up in a tree with a tail, and the next thing you know, he's a man. Then, yeah, it didn't matter to kill anybody because the earth will just make some more people, although you don't see that happening. Hello. However, since God made man out of nothing, fiat, ex niholi, God created man, then we are made in his very image. Therefore, life is incredibly sacred. And we need to remember that. There's also the issue with the war and governing officials. And the Bible says, for government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. So it says in the book of Romans chapter 13. Most of our police officers know this verse. <laughs> They'll quote it to preachers like me when we get mad, when we get tickets. Just tease them. They don't. What? For government is God's servant for you, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry a sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. That's why we have, we as a populace, we literally govern ourselves through processes, and we choose a government that has an enforcement and when that enforcement is acting righteously, they are working as the hand and the sword of the Lord to execute judgment and even to the point of capital punishment. Going back to the issue of war, it's really interesting what Jesus said about it. There was times when he, he spoke very clearly about justice, very clearly about a government having the rights. John the Baptist was baptizing one time. And remember, he said this, this was the message. When he would baptize, this is the symbol of your sins being washed away, just a symbol. You need to repent and show and demonstrate you have repented. And he said, produce fruits of repentance. I don't just want you to be baptized. I want you to tell me why you want to be baptized. And so he was speaking to the religious people and he would say, hey, quit being hypocrites, repent of that hypocrisy and get baptized. But then there was a group of Roman soldiers. They weren't Jews. They weren't from this land. They were a group of Roman soldiers. If you know anything about the Roman soldiers, they were pretty brass and rough, sometimes very abusive. So they heard the message of repentance. They came to John. They said, look, you know us. What right do we have to be here? And John the Baptist was clear. So when some soldiers came and questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take any money from anyone by force or false accusation. Um but be satisfied with your wages. In other words, he said, be a righteous person. But he never said, leave the Roman army. He never said that. As if to sanction, there is a time and a place for military force. But there's another side of killing that is still active. And unfortunately, most of us have, have, have been touched by this to some degree or another. And it's, it's suicide. Suicide is murder, as you know. And those that are in that state or in that condition of that thought are obviously not thinking and definitely not feeling correctly. So there was a, a lady by the name of Julia Gossick, and she wrote in a journal of biblical counseling about 10 years ago. She wrote this. And she had had five family members commit suicide. Five family members. And she's writing in this article, and she, said, she says this. It's an interesting statement. Suicide is not a genetic trait, nor is it a family curse. Suicide is a sinful choice. 
by an individual. This statement is neither unloving nor disrespectful. It is truth. I dearly love my family members that committed suicide, but their choice and their choices surrounding that were sinful and not righteous. And she goes on to add that uh, she doesn't want her words, just calling it what it is, an act of sin, isn't intended to be unloving in any way, but she wants to show love so that other people in a dark place who has similar types of thoughts, who might be considering taking their own life, uh, that if there is restraints and knowing God's attitude towards it, perhaps the restraints by God would shock them back into the right mindset. There's very, very few people that have ever lived that ever hasn't ever had just the dawning thought, I should take my life. I think everybody has had those thoughts that come in and they go out. Others, they come in and they begin to stay. And as you know, the way that thoughts work, you get what's called a brain worm and it begins to circle and go and go. Depression is involved. Clinical depression is involved. And things begin to work. But here's what we do know. We do know that what you think and what you feel can be very different. That you can be feeling one way, but it's not reality. You know the truth and you know what's right, but your feeler deep in your soul is vexed with trauma, no hope, disappointment, anger, or self-hatred. And next thing you know, you begin to have certain thoughts. Do you realize God has never had that thought? Nor has God ever spoke that thought into existence. And so that thought never was in eternity past, never was at the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden, and never became a thought until Satan was cast down, until evil was in the earth, until Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then we have this thought. And so it's easily to conclude that the thought of taking your own life is diabolical, is demonic. I'm not saying a demon is in there, although demons do whisper. I'm just saying it's not godly. So therefore, since it's not godly, what is godly? Well, it's everything that is truthful. What is truthful about your situation? Well, that God has incredible hope. God is the most hopeful, energetic, powerful being in the universe. And He has a way for you that even in spite of dire circumstances to where you feel that there is no hope, the truth is that there is an incredible amount of hope. There's another way of looking at the situations, except making a terminal life-ending decision. You know, unfortunately, uh, I get, uh, people will call me who have these thoughts. And, and I, I welcome those, those calls. I do. And the calls are, are, are varied for the reasons and all, but the conversation goes something like this. I immediately run to the incredible amount of pain that is inflicted on family members. And we all, many of us know what that is like, being left. And I want them for a moment, I want, if you're thinking these way, this way, I want you for a moment, just to, if you can, which you can, step out of your own thoughts for a moment and put yourself in the seed of those you love most. Put yourself in the, in the heart condition of those that you'll be left behind with great tragedy for the rest of their life. So as, as you can see that and can imagine the incredible amount of pain, too often we don't even go there because we're, we have blinders on and what you feel isn't necessarily truthful or reality. Now, look, there's a lot of bad things that happen in this world. There's a lot of horrible things that make 
God weep. But he has hope. And he has an answer for you and for me. And as we, you and I, as we, you have friends who have these thoughts, they'll even tell you these things. Most people, almost all of them, tell you what's happening in their heart before they do. And it's your job and my job to arrest those, those thoughts and hold them captive, if not lead them to do it, help them do it, and get them help. And by the way, just while we're here, every single conversation about suicide is extremely serious and don't think otherwise. And so we are to love and we are to help. But as... Miss Gossick says it is the most self-centered event of selfishness and murder that someone can take place. But there's even something more common in the area of murder that has to be addressed on the sixth commandment. I'm reluctant to go into it because of the nature of the subject. And that there, there are many here who are victims of this. And it's the issue of, of abortion. It's very clear what the Bible says about conception, that we are conceived in the very image of God. Jeremiah spoke very personally about God's love for him while he was still in his mother's womb. In fact, he said, I was wonderfully made. I was woven in my mother's womb. Have you ever watched a weaver work? And a weaver has this weaver's rack and this weaver has a design in mind and this weaver takes the right kind of thread and works it meticulously in the other threads and takes another color and then another type and eventually this mosaic turns into a beautiful fabric that's just incredible and it's one strand at a time like the Lord puts your DNA together so intricately with your personality, your uniqueness that no one is like whatsoever and you are woven perfectly in your mother's womb. It is a direct encounter. It is a moment in time where the physical and the spiritual come together and it's a merging of the soul of a human and the physical part and that eternal event takes place called conception and God says, he is mine. She is mine. I have created them. Human involvement, absolutely. Divine involvement, you bet, completely. And so as it goes back up to every, almost every time it talks about not murdering, or yeah, not murdering, it speaks about the image of God, and particularly in this situation. But what we are told, and, and people who are in you know, a very troubled situation, um, emotional, it, they're handed something so frivolously. I've just, in fact, uh, we were counseled to do that once. It's just a horrible event to be counseled at. Um, we've we've been um, we've had we've had a few miscarriages, and just the thought and, and thinking of those children and and what we would have named them and what they're doing in the presence of the Lord right now. Just you think about the value of these children, and you all have as well, many of you. But I want you to know two clear things: abortion is murder. There's no way around it. It is. God is clear in His Word. It's spoken of so often. The church fathers all the way to today. And, and, and there's, but I also want you to know that there's an enormous amount of forgiveness. But, but sometimes we don't want to talk about it because of the emotional angst that surrounded it. But many of us 
who have seen it or, or and somehow families have been touched or maybe you directly. We don't want to talk about it, but we must talk about it because there's much healing that needs to take place. And you've got to walk through this consistently with the Lord. And there's many even in, in this room and in our church that have gone through this and yet gone through the healing and are available to talk with you and to help you. But there's something else you also must do. I'm beg, beg, no, I'm not begging you. The Lord is begging you. You got to vote. You got to vote. Because this is all something that happens in the ballot box. It happens in the Senate. It happens in the Supreme Court. And we, the people, need to be the people that stand up and do something. And you say, Brother Mac, you don't need to get political. Ah, you can call it political if you want to, but I call it life and death. And you may say, look, you don't understand all the other issues that are associated with my particular party or my particular candidate. Look, you're right, man. I don't. And every, every candidate needs to answer for himself or herself. But the bottom line is, when you vote to, for me, I th- look, maybe this is opinion. Maybe it's a word of God. Maybe I'm emotional. I can't see the difference. But I will tell you this, that if you and I don't put the right people in place, then millions more will die at the hands of the abortionist. That's the facts. So, and I will tell, let me say this. Look, I know there's a lot of other social issues with, you know, there's some things I don't agree with the Republicans. There's some things I don't agree with the Democrats. There's just those things that are there. But here's what I do know. If you're running for dog catcher and you believe in abortion, I'm not voting for you. I don't want you catching my dog. I don't. You say, should that be the litmus test? It is for this guy. Because if you can't get that one right, you probably can't get anything else right. That's the way I see it. And I know, look, you say you're just against one particular party. Look, I know there's, there's, some, the whole, there's a, a big movement in the Democratic Party that is Democrats for life. And I've, I've heard them. I've even went to their websites. And so I'm praying that. So if you're in, in that party or you're a Republican or you're a Libertarian or social, whatever you are, men, make sure that you and yours turns the other way on this one subject. Thou shalt not murder. I can't get any clearer than that. So where do we go from here? Well, let's look at this at a little deeper level. And this is where it really begins to make me squirm and become very nervous on this one commandment. And it comes from the very mouth of Jesus. Now, you may not be, you may be new to following Jesus, and you may not be accustomed to the way Jesus talks. You may just have an idea of Jesus that he's just got to be friendly and fluffy and really nice. Let me, let me encourage you to read the Gospels and read the very words of Jesus. He is very clear. He is very stern, incredibly loving. I mean, think about all the, I mean, the kids would get in, in his lap. Have you ever seen kids around people? They always go to the fun guy, you know, the, the guy who's a lot of fun and the guy who's a lot of loving, and they went to his lap and not anybody else's. And, and the disciples are saying, get away from him. And Jesus, shut up. No, he didn't say, well, maybe he, I don't, he said, don't say that. Okay. He said, don't say that. And he said, let them come to me. In fact, I want you to want them to come to me. So Jesus was a very loving individual. Uh, the lady that they were trying to, trying to trap in adultery, and they were saying, Jesus, what do we do? Should we kill her? And he says, the one who's without sin, throw the first stone. So he saved this lady's life, full of mercy. But also know this, Jesus spoke the truth very clearly. Listen to what he says about 
this commandment. Jesus spoke about this sixth commandment, and it was very telling. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you know the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's on the north side of Galilee. The big hill comes down, and there all the people would be sitting. 5,000 men, right? And Jesus began to teach them. They wanted to hear the words of Jesus so much that they didn't even care about lunch. They didn't even bring their own lunch. And so they're listening to Jesus, and the people who were there were just like you and me, just common folks. And they were people that were pretty rough. You know, some of them had their hair pulled out, some had scars on their face, some had teeth missing, and that was just the women. I mean, there was a rough group of people. And Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, and he's saying, listen, I want you to, I want you to know the Lord. And here he says this, you've heard Moses say this, but I say this. And he said that several times, but here's what he says about thou shalt not murder. Matthew 5, 21, you have heard it said, to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, but whoever says moron will be subject to hellfire. So he intensifies it. So it's not just stabbing someone or pulling a trigger. It's something that happens internally that maybe somebody doesn't even know about. A hatred towards somebody. And I think, I, I don't want to be judgmental, but I imagine that every one of us falls in this category. That we all have experienced hatred in our heart, therefore we all are guilty of breaking this one commandment. Jesus goes on to say this, so if you are offering an, a gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, you, you, you got really mad at a guy and now he's, he's hurt. He says this, leave your gift at the altar and then return and go make things right with your offended brother. Then he gives a second analogy. And he says this, reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him or your adversary will hand you over to the judge. The judge will hand you over to the officer, and the officer will throw you in prison. In other words, he's saying, you need to make things right with man before you can make things right with God. Here's another way to say it. You can claim to be all religious, but if you're a hater, God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Man, there's a lot of categories this falls into. This falls into prejudice, and we talk a lot about this. Prejudice is one way to guarantee that God will have nothing to do with you or me. If you and I hate someone just for hating their color or their social economic standard or how they vote or, man, how they look, what they wear. You're ever driving down the road and you see somebody all up in a suit and you go, man, he looks like somebody in the mafia. I hate that guy. You might think that. You may see another guy and their pants are dragging. You may say, man, I hate those kinds of guys. Jesus is taking this commandment and bringing it right down to where you and I live and giving us a mirror to say, you got a problem. It's a big problem. It's a really big problem. You ever, you ever watch uh, any kind of news station and you have a commentary and these two people start arguing with each other and you think, hey, they're hating on each other. And the reason they're hating on each other is this one guy is wrong and this other guy is right. That's not why they're hating on each other. 
You see two friends in a fight. Maybe you have two family members that won't speak to one another. And you're going, man, why can't they figure this out? Why can't they get it right? Maybe it's that you continually have conflict with a spouse over and over and over. And you think that it's because your spouse is just like this or just like that. Or maybe it's a mother-in-law. Who knows? And you think, oh, you know what? Mother-in-laws or father-in-laws, everybody, you know, I know they're home because I see their broom on the porch. I get it, right? I understand it. I never said that. I heard that. Because that's the way you talk about the in-laws and people like that. Why is it that it's that way? Why is it that we like to hate? Why is it that we like to only be with our own echo chamber, our own tribe. We like to be around people that just think like us, eat like us, act like us, 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 us. And then we find somebody we're just madly in love with that will make my life better, and we marry them, and next thing you know, they begin to dig deep within our heart. Why is that? What's happening? I'm glad you asked. James chapter 4, watch this, verse 1 says it this way, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You ever wonder? Is it really because someone's wrong on an issue or someone isn't acting right? Is it really? Listen to this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What is it that gets your uh, dander up? What's dander anyway? What, whatever, what is it that raises, what makes veins pop out of your face? Eyes turn red. What causes quarrels among you? Listen to this. Don't they come from your desire, that battle within you? Man, there's, so, there's certain things you want. You're wanting life to go in a certain way, and it's not going in a certain way. You don't want people to act a certain way because it doesn't match you or match me. And, and it, gets, it gets you. This says that's where fights and quarrels come from. It comes from desires that are on the inside, has nothing to do with the people on the outside. Watch what he says. You want something, but you don't get it. You want someone to treat you better. You want somebody to act right. You want somebody to agree with you in all things. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you don't get it because you have bad motives. Here's what he's saying. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is telling us right here, you know where all this garbage comes from? Your own heart. Listen, do not think for a moment this doesn't apply to you. The moment I think this doesn't apply to me, that means I am hard-hearted and wretched. All of us are equally sinful, right? There's nobody in this room better than anybody else when it all comes down to it. And at the foot of the cross, we are all equals, right? So let me encourage you to do this, sir. As great as you think your opinions are, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that says we have a heart problem that causes us to have a sight problem, which causes us to have a mouth problem and a feet problem and a hand problem with the things, the people we see, the things we say, the places we go, and the things we do. It's a heart problem, and we need to humble ourselves 
right there. You say, you know what? There's just some people that set me off. Yeah, I know. It's because you have an evil heart. The next time you say, man, they just make me mad, then you need to reply, remember this. You need to reply, I've just got a bad heart. Because, for instance, the, the greatest injustice that has ever taken place on earth was when that first soldier slapped my Lord in the face. The next soldier that ripped out his beard, the next soldier that punched him, the other man that took the cat of nine tails and ripped his back like hamburger meat on the cross. And you know what he said? Father, forgive him for they know not what they do. He never said, make them stop. He never said, look at their evil. The most righteous man, being the victim of the most unrighteous act of injustice, stood there with a pure heart and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, let me ask you this. Are you right or is Jesus right? There's only one answer to that. So here's what we have to do. You and I must come to grips that we have pretty sinful hearts. Very, you're, you're probably not as bad as you could be, although some of you are. No, <laughs> Sorry. You're probably not as bad as you could be. I'm not as bad as I could be, I don't think. But they are, our hearts are still very desperately wicked above all things. And so what you and I need to do is we need to run to Jesus, who is the Lord and the founder of our faith. He, he is the one who shows us how to live. If you can trust him to save your life for eternity, don't you think you can trust him in how to live in time? So claiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior is not only saying, Lord, save me from the penalty of my sin. It's also saying, save me from the power of my sin. Lord, take the wickedness out of me. And Lord, I want to follow you and learn what you teach us. And I want to really dig in deep. And listen to this. So what is the opposite of hatred? The opposite of hatred is love. Let me read to you what love is. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you know where I'm going. Starting in verse 4, and it says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. Love is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects Love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres, and love never fails. So I need a new heart of love. I need the Lord to continue to renew me, fill me with His Spirit, so the fruit of the Spirit would abound within my life, and then I would be more and more like Jesus. Listen, sir, there's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for us. It's not necessarily winning arguments. It's loving people the way Jesus loved to the very end. Let's try that one. We've been arguing with people for years. We've been arguing with spouses for years. We've been arguing with neighbors for years and family members. We've been arguing and arguing and arguing. What if we just tried loving? How powerful would that be in your life? How powerful would that be? You know what love does? Love is like the solvent. Imagine somebody covered in tar and pitch of sin and you're able with love just to put this, this solvent of love upon them and all the tar and all the stickiness and the glue, the goo and the bad stuff just wears off and you're just saying, man, I, I didn't do anything. I'm just, 
loving like Jesus tells me to love. How about that? Even in the midst of great injustice, bad things happening, you and I having love and loving to the very end. You may be here today and you say, look, I've never tried that. Do. Do. God will bless you. God God will lead you. God will infuse you. He will empower you. You know what? It may not change anything around you, but it'll sure change you. You know what happens when you hate and hate and have bitterness and anger all the time? It twists you up on the inside. So you forgive other people, not necessarily for them, but you do it for yourself. You love other people, not necessarily for them, but because it's right and it puts you at peace and you begin to walk. Look what Martin Luther King did, that great Southern Baptist pastor who through love began to change our whole climate, make us, made us start thinking a little differently in our culture. What a hero. What a great man. How about you be someone of emancipation, bringing freedom to other people in the midst of a dark, dank, hateful world? You may be here today and you may say, look, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity when I die because I do have hatred. I do have many, many things going on in my life and I do not have peace with God who is one who judges. Well, that's why Jesus came to die on the cross for you. Not to make you perfect, but to save your soul. Make you righteous before God through His imputed righteousness. He doesn't accept those that become perfect because you can't. That's what I'm trying to say. He accepts those that say, I'm broken and I need you. Come in my heart and change me. That may be you this morning. Or you may have been dealing with some kind of hatred, some kind of bitterness, and the Lord just wants to take that out of you. Today's the day to have a new heart. Today's the day just to change. I mean, what else are you going to do? Keep it? It's not going to go well for you if you do. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamida's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.